Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to the Legendarium. It's finally here! It's the start of the Heroes of Science Fiction series here on the Legendarium. So, after a bit of nerd news, Craig, Ryan, Todd, and Ken will discuss The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Between the intersection of awesome and more awesome. I like that. Yeah? Was that good? That's good. It's the Legendarium podcast, everybody. That would be us. Welcome, welcome, one and all. uh, Mostly one. Uh, to the Legendarium <laughs> Podcast. I am Craig Hanks. Uh, let's meet our uh, usual collection, our motley crew here. Uh, he gave up a very promising career in ice dancing to join us here today. It's Ryan Bruckman. That's right. I was a fantastic ice dancer one day. <laughs> oh, it starts again. <laughs> and across from me at the table, it's Ken Johnson, founder of KissMyGrits.com, where you can see actual photos of real people kissing grits. Now with 35% more flow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. The website or you? Uh, Gotta go to kissmygrits.com to find out. He's the winner of the 2014 Grits Kissing Contest. He won by snapping a photo of himself kissing grits whilst singing the Belgian national anthem. Don't ask questions. Just say hi to Todd Wenty. Oh, Belgium, my (laughs) land. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the Belgian national anthem. I thought that was just like, I'm a big waffle from Belgium. (laughs) I know you said waffle, but it kind of sounded like buffalo. <laughs> I'm a buffalo who likes buffles from Belgium. All right. yeah, oh, my gosh. Oh, what did Ryan eat today? Yeah, you guys are in a really weird mood. Um, just to let everybody who's listening know, we've fault. got about 30 minutes of just bizarre, bizarre tape behind this. Uh, Ryan is a strange man. He's a very, very odd human being. This is very, um, very true. Also, my cat took a dump, so <laughs> we couldn't use that tape. So... Um, anyway, <laughs> perhaps it's just a just... lack of oxygen in the room. <laughs> this episode will be brought to you by Fabrice, the Spanish version of Fabrice. <laughs> All right. At your nearby dollar store. <laughs> hey, racist guy on my left. <sighs> Silence. Um, so, you guys, I, I hesitate to say this, but welcome back. Uh, it's, been, it's been a nice week uh, when I didn't have to deal with any of you. Um, but now it's Saturday again, so we're recording. Um, now, this week, I'm very excited. We are starting our... Um, Heroes of Science Fiction! <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of uh, increased flow, mine was definitely cut off just then. Um, anyway... We should have cut off Ryan's just then yeah, as indeed. well, I think. I control the board. I control the yes. mics. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. All right. So anyway, it is Heroes of Sci-Fi. I'm uh, just very, very excited to be starting this series. It's coming It's uh, it's coming along nicely in our preparation. Uh, this week is our inaugural, but we have a few uh, in the pipeline ready to go. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So this week we're doing... Um, it's a high flow pipeline. We're doing H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. I'm just ignoring you guys at this point. <laughs> I hope you understand that. H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. So we'll be discussing that. I hope uh, I hope you read along and you're ready for this. Uh, if you've never read The Time Machine, I think I said this in an earlier cast, but uh, you know, shut off the podcast for about an hour and a half and go read it. It's really quick. If you it's, haven't read The Time Machine, you will in the past. It's not a novel. It's a novella. It's quite short. Um, it's it's yeah, classified as a novella. 
so yeah, it's it's really not too intimidating. Uh, the most intimidating thing about it is the uh, language, I'd say. But we'll get to that. Yeah. We've got a few things to talk about before we start the time machine. Um, <laughs> that would be awesome if we had a time machine we could actually start. It is 2015. So um, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. But let's talk a little bit about nerd news. I think uh, we, we are going to be doing things a little bit differently um, going forward. So if you're used to us just diving right into the topic, uh, hang with us for a little while because every week every week we want to bring up a bunch of stuff and we just never do because we want to get into the topic. Uh, but I think we'll lop a little bit off of the time machine so that we can bring you a few minutes of nerd news um, brought to you by Ken Johnson. Uh, well, I, no, not oh, wait, this week. Now? Oh. Yeah, let's do some nerd news. Take it away, Ken. So what's, uh, what's your favorite thing this week, Ken? My favorite thing... It, well, I had a favorite thing until last night when I found out that Zachary Levi is going to be in Heroes Reborn. I'm excited. I like I that am guy. very excited about that. If you saw him in Chuck, if you liked him in Tangled, Tangled if you liked him any in of his Thor The Dark problems. World. Oh, know, was he? That, oh, that's right. Yeah, he was, he was Fandral okay. in, uh, in, Thor in, Thor, in Thor 2. He was supposed to be Fandral in Thor 1 also, but there was a conflict with Tangled, I believe it was. Yeah. And so they got the guy from Once Upon a Time. They're both Disney films. They yeah, could have made both. that work. Uh, so anyway, and then he couldn't do it because of conflicts with Once Upon a Time. So they brought Zachary Levi back in. And anyway, he's going to be in Heroes Reborn. Not sure what he's going to do, but uh, I'm not even sure if they know for sure when Heroes Reborn is supposed to be out. But Well, it is supposed to air sometime this year. It's scheduled to air in 2014. So I would assume uh, when we get so to So we have to get in our time machine. 2015. 15. 15. 2015. Yeah, whatever, man. I'm old. I don't keep track of uh, years anymore. Can, it's I H. Somebody, Wells can I have somebody write that down? I want to use that against him sometime in the future. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, he's going did to you be guys, headlining. That's did you guys awesome. watch Chuck? Oh, yeah. Anybody else? I mean, Ryan, I think I got you watching Chuck, didn't I? You didn't, but I did watch okay, it. Okay, somebody else. My All family, four and a half seasons of it. My family has been trying to get me to watch Chuck for about uh, as long oh, as you've it's never been watched around. It. I've, I, I, had to make, I have to make choices. Sure. Uh, it's, um, I would place it firmly in my top 10 favorite shows of all time. It is on my list to binge watch the next day that I'm having a bad day and I call in sick to work. It's, you know, that bad day, it's not Zachary Levi that turns it around. He's wonderful. He's charming and uh, funny and everything. But, uh, the moment you clap your eyes on Ivan Strahovski, oh, that yeah. bad day is going to turn right around. Okay. okay. So. Well, Let's and, hope my wife is not listening to this podcast at this point in time. <laughs> and Sarah Lancaster plays his sister oh, and yeah. she is not hard she to look at. She is very pretty. Um, and so is Ryan McPartland, the guy that plays oh, yeah. Captain, Captain Awesome. awesome. He yeah. is an attractive man. Uh, it's true. Just throwing that out there. Although the funniest guy in the whole show probably is Morgan. I don't Josh know. Josh Gomez. Josh Gomez. There yep. we go. Great so. show. I don't know why we're doing this. I'm uh, glad legendary review of Chuck. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad legendary uh, news could turn into the Chuck review. There but. you go. Watch Chuck, and for the reason of Chuck, we are very excited for Heroes to be coming up. Uh, anyway, what else you got? It, it can't be the Legendarium without throwing in a little Star Wars news. Did you guys? Yes. You know, because Episode Seven comes out in 2015. I just I've got to remind you every week. It's this year. It comes out this year. We're going to get approximately 45 more reminders. Did, did, you hear, did you hear about the guy in Delaware who is trying to make a functional, fully functioning X-Wing and sued Disney because they wouldn't support him? So you know, right up until that moment, it sounded like a real good setup for a nut for a joke. <laughs> did you hear about the guy who wanted Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So wait, he's in Delaware. He's, so he's he in Delaware. He wants to build an X-Wing. He wants he to wants... build an 
X-Wing. And they won't license it? Well, no. It's not even that. He calls, I don't know where you find Disney's phone number, but he calls Disney, <laughs> right? Hello, Mickey. And says, hey, I'm building this X-Wing. It's going to fly. It's going to be the hybrid between cars and airplanes. And I'd love you to get behind it. And they said, basically, ha, no way, no, buddy. We're not. Yeah, exactly. They said, we're, we're not going to get behind that. More power to you. Didn't say they cease didn't and say, desist. They didn't say don't do They didn't it. say you cannot call it an X-Wing. They didn't say any of that. They just said, we're not going to get behind you. Goofy tried it once and it didn't work for him. <laughs> exactly. What? Continue. Ignore that. So anyway. And we're playing it pretty fast and loose with the term man at this point. We were talking about Ryan. (laughs) So anyway, he says that's not good enough. You know, letting him do it is not good enough. He wants a full endorsement from Disney. So he sues Disney. Not just an endorsement, but like financial backing. I don't even know if he wanted that. He just he wanted Disney to say we are fully behind this. And so he goes to the courts should point out this is a New York law school graduate, of course it is, uh, says, (laughs) I want the courts to force Disney to endorse this. And the courts look at him and say, no, (laughs) but good try. You know what country you live in, right? I mean, I, yeah, that's a good one. Um, And if you're, people are strange. Yeah, people uh, are strange when you're a stranger. What? I was thinking the same thing right then. Um, now, I've got one more thing that I uh, found this week that I want to run by you guys. Uh, a lot of people listening may have already seen this, but maybe you haven't. Go hit up YouTube. I finally saw my first trailer for Seventh Son, which Todd mentioned mm-hmm. a week or two ago on, uh, oh, on the yeah. podcast. I had no idea what it was when you were talking about it. Now I do. It looks great. It does, doesn't it? It looks like... Um, it looks like okay, so we have this um, kind of low-budget production company here in Utah called Aerostorm Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, they make uh, you know good films and everything, but it's definitely low-budget. It looks like one Video of those... Video games to go with those films. It looks like f- kind of a fan film. You know, It's this uh, f- action fantasy adventure with dragons and magic and witches and whatnot, um, but with a Hollywood budget and Julianne Moore and a few other people who we'll know and recognize, you know, so hopefully they... Who are Oscar nominees, by the way. Julianne Moore, Oscar nominee. Yeah. Okay. Peg to actually walk away with the awarders. Yeah. So, is she really? So, yeah. Oscar nominations came out this She's week. She's the, the lead contender for the best actress. Let's piece. see what happens at the Golden Globes, and then we'll update our list. Golden Globes uh, passed. That was Golden about Globes, a week and a half yeah, ago. Or was last, it? Or yeah. a week ago. Boyhood took home best picture. I need picture. to stop watching just, things on, re, on TiVo. Just don't talk. <laughs> don't talk anymore. <laughs> one more bit of you're, news you're for you. You're making it worse, Todd. What, one more bit so of news for you. Um the Star Wars Episode Seven is supposed to have an. There's supposed to be a new teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode oh, yeah. Seven in front of Avengers: Age of Ultron. <laughs> As if we weren't all going to go see that anyway. Right? Yeah. One. Know. I needed one more reason to see Avengers: Age of Ultron <laughs> in 3D. Gosh, I am so excited for both of those movies. Any discussion I, as to whether Star Wars is going to be in 3D? I was just going to ask that. I haven't heard. I had, I had vaguely remember hearing someone say something about them. They weren't filming it in 3D, but they were going to do post. 3D production on it. Which I, used to be scary, but they've gotten really good at post-rendering I don't know. into 3D. Nah. So. If it's shot for 3D, it works better for 3D. If it, if they decide to put it in after the fact to try and get some extra buzz out of it, it generally is pretty poor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I hope it's So if they've 3D. shot it with the intention of putting it into 3D, but they didn't shoot it in 3D, they've just got it set up so that they can... Uh, my my biggest 50, problem 50. with 3D is that uh, if there's a movie that I want to see and it's in 3D, I always have to see it twice. 
Because I have to see the 3D version, and then I have to go see the really good version. Yeah. You know? You know, the one of the, and heaven forbid this ever become a technology podcast, but the, um, the, yeah, heaven forbid. The XD uh, or the, you know, the high def digital projection is almost superior as far as uh, watch experience mm-hmm. for most films, even those that are designed for <sighs> shooting in 3D. So, I mean, in, in my world, and we've gotten to the point with our family. Uh, too many of our family has problems with with the 3D rotoscoping, causing a little bit too much motion sickness. Oh yeah. And so we go for the we go for the high def digital projection. And if if I have a choice, if if JJ Abrams is still listening to our podcast, which he obviously was because he changed the stormtrooper rifles, JJ um, Abrams, please. Uh, Put it in high-def digital projection, not in 3D. Thank you. I don't imagine that any expense will be spared on the new Star Wars film. Oh, and also J.J. Abrams, come on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that is your Legendarium Geek News. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Um, So anything else? Any other housekeeping? No. Let's move on to um, the time machine. So, uh, Todd, you want to give us a quick synopsis of uh, the hundred pages of the Time Machine? What yeah, happens? Um, the Time Machine is a is a little novel about a, a gentleman. It's actually told from a from the perspective of a visitor, uh, a guest of a dinner party group, and he speaks. Uh, we have we have two we have two dinners that he attends. The first one where the time traveler, never named. Uh, puts forth this idea that time travel is possible, that it is possible to move within the medium of time as easily as one moves within space. And he builds a small device and demonstrates it uh, much to the uh, dismay and uh, the guffaws uh, of the of the attendees of the dinner party. And he says, well, if you'll come back next week, I'll tell you all about the experience I have in my full-size time machine you are all dismissed, and he sends them away. The next day, they all arrive, or the next week, they all arrive. He's not there. Uh, they have dinner, and as they're having dinner, he shows up. And then, after he cleans himself up, and he shows up just looking like he's been through a been pretty, through it. A, a, a pretty horrendous experience of some kind, and uh, takes himself away long enough to get freshened up. Comes back downstairs, eats ravenously, and then tells them a story, and they have various reactions to it. And then you have several chapters. Yeah, so the story is he took off in his time machine. He went forward in time 800,000 years um, and uh, met the race of the... What? How do you guys pronounce it? The, Eloy. Eloy. The Eloy. Okay, good. Um, so he, he meets the Eloy and the Morlocks. The Eloy are... Uh, Slightly smaller than, full, than, than current full-size humans. They are genderless. They are... They are. Ah, they're, they're, not genderless. they're not genderless, but they're well, they, androgynous. There you go. Um, they are simple. They're, he he describes them in the book several times as being uh, childlike and innocent and playful, uh, without a care. And they all live together in giant buildings, and they huddle together at night because at night out come the Morlocks, kind of like white ape-like creatures who uh, eat the Eloy. Um, and oh, you gave that away? Oh, sorry, man. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Yeah, no, not really. Um, anyway. <laughs> the book's uh, in public domain. On, There's no more spoilers. Spoiler alert on a book that's over 100 years old. <laughs> so he uh, joins forces with one of the Eloi. He escapes the Morlocks and goes keeps going forward in time uh, and 
it, it, that that the Eloy and the Morlocks take up the bulk of the of the novella. That's yeah. 60, 70 pages of the hundred pages or so. Uh, he goes forward in time. He sees um, the Earth what three million or thirty million years in the future. Something, I think it is something like that. Something like that. And um, at the point of its at, at the point of the at, sun's collapse and the Earth's decay, right into nothing, in, into nearly nothingness, and certainly into a lifelessness. And state. then he heads back to his mansion and tells everybody all about it. Um, at the end of the book. He um, hops back in his time machine, tells the narrator, who we're being told the story through, tells the narrator, hey, I'm going to go on one more adventure and I'll let you know what I see when I get back. And he never comes back. Dun, dun, dun. Because as everyone knows, in fact, it's interesting, he says at the end, and as everyone knows, he has never come back. Right. You know, I'm telling the story three years later and he has never returned, as everyone knows. As everyone knows. I wonder if it was meant for sequels, if he thought that he was going to have this time traveler as a recurring character. People have written sequels. Um, Not like H.G. Wells. Then he started his screenwriting of the first edition of Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, while it's possible that he could have intended it as a as a serialized character, um, this really this this novella predates that kind of of genre that kind of right. take in the in the environment. So I think he was and I and I think his concern is less with the time traveler and more with the time traveler's reflections about uh the state of society and the way that society is is evolving yeah. in the 18 in the late 1800s. So yeah, the the novel was published in 1895 um and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Now, I I do want to talk about some of that stuff, but uh, let me ask you as this this kind of basic question did you, uh, Ryan? Did you enjoy the time machine? Do you enjoy the story? Yes, as I look back, uh, as I look at it as a precursor to a lot of things that I do enjoy, or a lot of time travel stories I do enjoy. The story as itself, I it's a good read. I I don't feel like I wasted my time going through it. Um, but I guess it, in a in an age that we live in, where everything is written so cinematically, right? This was not. Yeah. This was not written cinematically to me. I I can still see it and everything there, but uh, it just makes the reading process sometimes when you have a little more difficulty having to work through it and visualize some things a little bit more of a more of a chore than an enjoyment read. Right. But I would definitely I I don't think that I think the story as a whole is quite good and and the undercurrent pieces that are inside of it are worth taking the time to think about and that's what I think a good story should do anyway is give you something to think about and process and maybe make some, dis- you know, something you could make a decision off of. And this has that. Yeah. I, I think um, the primary task of any author is to create a good story. Just have a good story. And then if you want to add in your commentary on, you know, politics mm-hmm. and culture and, uh, and whatnot... You can do that, but it has to be in a good story. Yeah, better first be right. a ripping good yarn. And I, I thought this was. It may not be written in a style, like Ryan says. It's not in a style that we're used to anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, but the story is quite engaging, I thought. What did you What did you think, Ken? I, I enjoyed it. I mean, there wasn't nearly enough punching for my liking. No. He killed, like, three Morlocks with a stick, right? I know, but it wasn't exciting. <laughs> It was matter of fact, and you know, hey, I'm just kidding. I I really enjoyed it, but I found myself and I he burned down the entire countryside. That was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. Okay, you got me there. There was plenty. <laughs> Excuse me. 
It's a little less punching and a little my, more environmental destruction. My entire review was shaken. I quit. No, I I think um, it, it's uh, as I was reading it. I, I kept thinking back to this is I, I'm reading this 120 year old book with a, a mindset of mm-hmm. uh, of 120 years of refinement from what science fiction was to what science fiction is now because as right. I was as I was reading it he's describing how the sun is big and you know it's red and all this and, and and everything all these conditions are different and all I could think is yeah you wouldn't be able to survive that yeah, you're, no, not, right. you're not conditioned for that your your 19th century body wouldn't be able to survive any of this you i mean you are not used to eating this food you're not <laughs> and so all of these things uh, we're going through in my mind from a 21st century perspective into a 19th century book, and and I thought this is interesting to me how basically H.G. Wells is is the creator of all of this science fictiony time travel idea that we are just so used to now. Right. I mean, back there, back then, it was unheard of. I think he coined the term time machine. And I think he coined the term fourth dimension, being time as the fourth dimension, uh, meaning, you know, the three dimensions and then time is the fourth. Uh, these are all things that were foreign when he made them, and we just kind of take them for granted now. Which And reading it with that in mind, it was fascinating to see how, his, how, how he works, how he operates. And that would be, for me, an argument for why if somebody wants to get into science fiction... Um, or if you're already into it and you want to learn a little bit more about what you've been reading your whole life, go back and, and uh, understand the roots. Because yeah. this, this is it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that came after. There's a lot of different subjects in science that were explored, but this is uh, definitely a recurring theme over the last century. And, and you know, this is the foundation of all science fiction. I, I have a question I want to throw out here because you're talking about it being the foundation of science fiction. And I, I completely agree with that. But... For the sake of this being the first discussion of science fiction, of our Heroes of Science Fiction section, why does this fit? Why do we classify this as science fiction? Or why is, you know, how did this become its own branch? Hmm. You know, how does it fit the science fiction versus just saying this is a fantasy that involves time travel? You know, that's, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a group of individuals who will, who will run around and will fight this kind of a, of a description. Um, and fight for why certain pieces will be called science fiction and why certain pieces will be called something different. Uh, one of the key pieces, and I think we've, I've mentioned it with, within our group that we've talked about, is that the science has to drive the story. The story has to be an outcrop or an outgrowth of the natural application of the science. In this case, the application of the ability to travel within, the fourth, within a fourth dimension uh, through scientific means. Through scientific means. Right. Not through, through a man-made not machine. Through magic, right. but through a man-made scientific process. Um, granted, H.G. Wells um, in this process does not... Um, he, is, he is not concerned with trying to prove to us that it's possible, um, but rather is, is using it as a tool to further his discussion. And so that's why this works as a piece of science fiction. Uh, very much the same way as Michael Crichton in Timeline uh, or in Jurassic Park. It's the science that makes the magnificence or the or the interesting pieces of the story possible. And so, when you whenever we're we're talking about science fiction, a lot of times people will say, "Well, you know, that's you know that's that's old science fiction, that's ancient science fiction." If you want really good science fiction, check out Star Trek. If you want really good science fiction, check out Star Wars. If you want really good science fiction, check out Starship Troopers. The reality is that um, in in a lot of those cases, um, 
there are there is a there is a portion of the population that would say no those are a very different kind of of book they're what we call space opera meaning that it is a uh, a more conventional kind of a story told with a futuristic uh, a, in a, a, futuristic in a futuristic setting. setting. Yeah. I'd like to point out, by the way, that ironically enough, it was time travel that killed Star Trek. To me, by J.J. Abrams. No, no, before J.J. Abrams, when they went, you know, uh, Star Trek Enterprise and and the, all of the iterations. Be- You're talking about that. the Voyage Home. No, I'm, I'm talking about um, about the, nobody the, knows the, the series. The oh, series, oh, the, the yeah. Next Generation Deep Space Nine Voyager, uh, and, and Star Trek Enterprise. The the one with Captain Archer with the That's right. That's right. The it, the entire the, the entire series segment that was about the temporal cold war yeah, and all and, those and all I mean the very the very first episode has to deal with this guy from the twenty ninth century and everything and it just time travel the crutch of time travel killed the Star Wars franchise and yet, as a TV series. One of the best Star Trek episodes ever. City on the Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, it's true. magnificent. Now, and that's one, that of the was that's one of the things that's really interesting. I don't think that H.G. Wells ever intended for time travel to be this huge thing, this huge device that gets used to retell stories. Um, as, as, as I've read H.G. Wells, and, and we selected the time machine, we could easily have selected War of the Worlds uh, mm-hmm. to have explored as, a, as another piece of science fiction. Um, that was when Ken. That was when he finally realized, "Oh, my guy couldn't have survived eight hundred thousand years in the future." <laughs> exactly. So right. I need to. I need to write a story in which somebody dies after invading it. Um, it it's it's always been interesting to me that that H. G. Wells was very concerned about the technological advances that were being made by man, and the unintended consequences that came with those technological advances. And in in this book, he puts forth his ideas very, very clearly. I don't think he intended this time travel device to be to be. I don't think he intended this book to spawn that kind of a process. But it has, and it's been absolutely wonderful fodder for science fiction and fantasy writers ever since. Well, you know, as I read it, I don't, I don't read that he was concerned much with the science at all. It's uh, he uses the science, like you say earlier. He uses it as a tool to to uh, further a story, right? So by that measure, we call this science fiction. Mm-hmm. But really, it's um, he uses the Eloy Morlock situation as a way to kind of wring his hands over the the uh, the gap between the rich and the poor yep. uh, in late nineteenth century England. Um, he uses the science to comment on society. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not. Yeah, he doesn't use science to comment on science. He's and keep in mind this is um, for anybody who loves history and and can reach back, you know, a few generations in time. This is when the whole world, the whole Western world, at least, was consumed with the question of um, class warfare. Mm-hmm. You know, like Marxism, capitalism, Darwinism. Darwinism? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, questions uh, questions with surrounding those issues were all that any of the elites ever talked about. And make mo- no mistake, he was in that class. Oh, oh he was very much he was not. He, yeah. In fact, there, there's a, a prevailing theory that the time traveler, the unnamed time traveler was H.G. Wells. Wells himself. Yeah. There's a great podcast to that effect, isn't there, Ryan? Yes, yes, there is. <laughs> I, I'm sad it's ending this year, but uh, it's great. You know, we'll 
plug another podcast on here. The Dead Authors Podcast is yep. hosted by H.G. Wells, and it's quite quite enjoyable, although not entirely historically accurate. So it make is, sure you check your facts when you <laughs> don't your write your report off of it. It is but, a riot of a good time. But, yeah, uh, yeah you're probably – if you – so H.G. Wells goes through time and interviews other authors. He brings and, them back. Or he to, brings them to, he brings the, them to now. To some San Francisco theater and interviews them. And uh, it's quite irreverent. And so if you're looking up your favorite author and listening to that podcast, be prepared to, uh, you know. To have your, your innocence shattered. Well, to, to buy a new iPhone <laughs> after you break it. You know, it's, it's, I, I, listen, I listened to the one with Tolkien. I just about lost it. <laughs> he loved it and lost it all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. It was hilarious, though. It's a good one. If you don't worship the author, then it's quite funny. Anyway, so it's, um, it's interesting. It starts out, as it starts out, he shows up with the Eloy and the, and the Morlocks. He hasn't even met the Morlocks yet. Uh, but he starts making critiques, societal critiques, and you think, oh, okay, so he's kind of going after uh, Marxism and communism, uh, and then he, and then it switches, especially once he realizes who the Morlocks are and what they're mm-hmm. what they're there for, why they're living underground, uh, and suddenly it's this just screaming anti-capitalist screed of a book, which, as I said earlier, you know, first comes the story, which it's a good thing because I enjoyed the story. It's a fun time. It's a good time. But man, I got frustrated with some of that stuff. Well, but it's a it's a product of its time. Um, I, and I'm not I'm not so sure it's as much an anti capitalist as it's an anti uh, industrialist, anti mechanized. Um, and and maybe I maybe I feel that way just because I um, having read uh, having read War of the Worlds. Um, and read some of his commentary about the two books together. Um, his contention was that when we um, allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by a dependence upon mechanization, uh, that we will lose something of what it means to be human. And so I, I as I was reading the book, I was becoming, uh, and this time through it, um, several years since the first time that I read through it, I was able to see it less as a as an indictment against an economic system and more as an indictment against a willingness to be lazy in many ways very similar to uh Wally uh and the survivors of the planet earth that were on the ship that become very fat very lazy they let the machines do everything for them and then the machines evolve to keep them dependent upon the machines Mm-hmm. Um, in in much the same way, there's and and again, not that they're the same kind of story, but the the idea of unintended consequences. What happens when a society becomes so stratified? Because he he makes a comment at one point in the book that um, everything got to a point where it was predictable. Uh, the Eloy knew their place. Um, the Morlocks knew their place. They were both happy. They they were both satisfied in their place. There was predictability. There was safety. Until you got eaten. Well, and but 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 it happens that then it breaks down because then when there's no when there's no uh, when there's no challenges when there's no more challenges to meet, and mechanization handles all of our all of our problems for us, and we stop meeting these challenges, we lose our humanity. And I think that's what he was trying. One of the things that he was trying to say is that when we lose our humanity, our animalistic side and our um, our creature comfort side gets split and that we need them together in order to truly be human. Hmm. Ken, how would you like to get back to the... I didn't think of it that way. 
Yeah. <laughs> How would you like to get back to the level one stuff? Because uh, I had Sorry, something. Did, like, I, did I just take us to the level three? How I dare you? <laughs> At least level two. Like back um, to the level one stuff. So, one of my favorite things about um, any book is fear. I love fear as a driving uh, part of the narrative, and this is a good one for me because when the Morlocks steal the time machine, he so he's been there for what a day or so, and he goes back and he goes over the hill to where he left the time machine, and it's gone. And it's gone, right? So I, I was thinking to myself because I'm unlike Ryan, I, I had a pretty nice visual experience. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just read more dusty old 19th century authors than you do. Um, I think you probably are a little more used to language <laughs> that you have to work through a little more. Yeah. So I, anyway, I was having a good time and, and he goes over that hill and he, he sees the time machine is gone and I freaked out. Um, <laughs> it, so it reminded me of, uh, well, it, it, it reminds me of my two other great fears um, in fiction, whether it's movies or, or books. Leaky Submarines. Oh, yeah. Oh, leaky submarines are a big one for me. And then also, uh, did you guys see um, uh, Interstellar? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, it's it, pick a space movie, you know, any space movie. But there's this scene in Interstellar where the, one of the astronauts is sitting on his cot and he, he kind of taps the side, the hull of the ship, you know, and he says, this is an eighth inch of of aluminum, you know. And that's all that separates us from us and nothing. And that's that kind of taps into one of my other fears, and that's floating through space without a tether. Mm-hmm. Um, terrifying. Terrifying to me. Anyway, so now add to the list of that, traveling through time and then losing, and your, losing time your time machine. machine. Oh, man. I, I I thought that, too. As he was coming, it was like, time machine's gone. It's like, oh, man. And I, I found it funny that he pointed out, it's a good thing I took the controllers yeah. because... Then it could really be gone. And- yeah, exactly. can you imagine what would have happened if a group of Morlocks if, had shown up in if, our time? If Biff, if Biff had gotten in the time machine <laughs> <laughs> and traveled to 2015 and given himself great. Oh wait, we're getting into different stories of time travel again. Thank again. you, McFly. I appreciate that. But I, I found myself. I went from uh, pants crappingly scared. Can I say that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you can say it. you'll sound weird. Yeah. Right. But well, I mean, I. Feeling sympathetic for H.G. Uh, Wells's pants crapping fear of losing his time machine to then he's breaking down and blubbering and all I could think is man up Nancy come on and, <laughs> which I I realize that, at, at, that's just me sitting comfortably in my house reading you know this mm-hmm. book not actually eight hundred thousand years into the future losing my means of getting home but at the same time I always just think come on. Work through it then. Well, Don't I think sit there and cry. I think that's the closest thing that any of us can imagine is when you, if you've ever walked out to where you thought your car was and it's not there anymore, <laughs> right. and you're like, my car just got stolen. Like you freak out for a minute there, and then you realize, oh no, I'm just parked one level down or something like that. Right. But that moment now, just realize that there's no bus transportation home. There's nothing else. You are now <laughs> going to have to figure out how to live in this entirely different time thing. Yeah. It would be essentially... In the clothes you have on now. If we were to drop you in a Middle Eastern country and take away all motor transportation for you and say, go, that's the sort of fear. That's, yeah, That exactly. moment you just fell out of a plane, hit there. I got to figure out how to survive. Now, yeah. Now here I am with these children who only eat fruit. You know? And that would be a big problem for you, Ken. <laughs> right? Well, well, it was a big problem for H.G. Wells, too. Yeah. I and mean, I think, and Craig talked about fear being a nice driving force. Um, I think it. I think it was very interesting. I, it did strike me as interesting that he took the controls with him, 
It just seems like it makes sense to us most of the time. Like, that's just a smart idea. You take your keys. You take your keys with you. Exactly. I just thought, when you think about the time machine, and and you can see different visualizations of it, but there's kind of a generic look to uh, that's created in early films and and other films there. And you just imagine, I I look at it, and I'm like, couldn't you just, like, stick a stick in in there and pull the lever and go or something? But I just thought it was very interesting that he had the foresight to realize... This can't fall into bad hands, and I don't know who's here, so I'm taking my controls with me. Yeah. Um, so I got a question for you guys. Uh, the Traveler only travels in one direction. He goes forward in time, and then he goes back to the present. Uh, I I would always go backward. So let me ask you guys. If you could go, if you could time travel, and you could only go one direction, which way would you go? Back. Back. Todd, what would you say? Okay, Ryan, he's well, thinking, well, what would you say? Well, I, I had decided a long time ago if I ever had the chance to make one trip, to go back in time and do whatever I wanted, I would travel back to probably like 1987 or something like that and buy a whole bunch of Apple stock and then just <laughs> put, leave a note for myself to find when I got back and, you know, make sure I was taking care of that. But that way I don't really disturb the, you know, time-space continuum too much. But if that I had, you know of. That I know of. Yeah, you would. But if I had to pick which one I've way to go, I would rather go. I think I'd rather go forward. I can read uh, about yeah. what's behind. I would rather go forward. I think I'm with Ryan, and I, I think part of that is because when whenever we think about the 1900s, whenever we think about you know some of these different time frames, people say, "Oh, I would love to go back and visit." Um, yeah, you would right up until you needed to go to the bathroom. Um, you would right up until you <laughs> realize that there's no electric light, there is no indoor plumbing, and all of these things that we look at and we say to ourselves, "Oh, it looks so beautiful." We were doing that without our olfactory senses being involved. <laughs> oh yeah. And so there's a lot of things that I think we take for granted about our ideas of what the past looks like. Well, let me throw in. Going forward to look and see where things are going. When we're talking about time travel in this style, okay. in the H.G. Wells style, we're not talking about going and living somewhere for years and years. We're talking about visiting. Unless someone steals your dang and, time machine. <laughs> unless the Morlocks steal your time machine. And that's the thing, is that if the Morlocks hadn't decided to try and trap him... He probably would have made it. He would still be there. Now, if and the, and the book would never have been written. Oh yeah, that's good. That's a, <laughs> that's a dun, good point. Dun, dun. Now, if we're talking about seeing the past versus seeing the future, I would totally want to see what the future holds. However, the two reasons I say going back rather than going forward is because a we have history to draw on. We know what's back there, so I mean we can ish. Ish. I mean, you know, it's being there is is never quite the same as reading about it, and that's the same in the present as as anything. But but going back, you have an idea of what's there. But also going forward, whatever you go forward to is no longer your future because you're not in the time that you just jumped over. Right. And and so who's to say? Oh, okay, oh, man, you just blew my mind, Ken. Right? Yeah. So if if you go, say it's 2015 now, and you go to 2030, and you see the history of what happened in 2020, you're not in it because you were not there to live those 15 years. Yeah. But luckily, my kids are, so you know they'll have left something for yeah, me. Yeah, but you're also not there to influence your kids. I Ooh. Now. Oh. You're not there. You're not there as a wife or a husband or a father. <laughs> Ryan's was, not there as a wife. <laughs> I'm. I'm a stay-at-home dad, folks. I mean, so you know, I'm not there as a wife, but um, but you're you're not there in that space that you've just jumped over. So anything that you see that's in direct reference to you is different than what will happen. No, I get that. If I get you that. live it, oh, that's freaky. Okay, 
So, and I just I would always say I would want to go to the past because um, I feel like if I if you know what's going to happen in the future with certainty, if you understand where society is heading, yeah, it could fill you with wonder and hope and whatnot. But I feel like more likely it would just fill you with despair. Yeah, you know, like yeah. all is lost. Because not not be, not necessarily because society will be you know so bad and whatnot, but maybe you just don't you can't comprehend what you just saw as you move forward in time. You know, I think it I th- I think it depends on 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 what we on on what we decide is is how far you would move in time. Yeah. Um. You know, Ryan tells Ryan saying I would go back in 1987 and I would buy Apple stock. Um, I'm thinking I go forward. I find out which multinational conglomerates are going to be positioned themselves correctly, and I make there an investment <laughs> now for my children and recognize the fact that, okay, and not only that, but I also <laughs> borrow a page out of Marty McFly's book, and I get myself a, an almanac, and I find out who's going to win the next couple oh, yeah. of World Series. Well, I will say this, by the way, two things, both referencing Back to the Future. One, we're I, I say you know not going forward because you won't be there in the in the small scheme that is important in you know in your personal but in in the grand scheme of society you can go forward and see what's theoretically you can go forward and see sure. what's going to happen because f- quite frankly you don't matter as a single person you are not significant on the goings on of didn't society. you ever watch we uh, we don't know it's a wonderful again. life that's true you you actually yeah come on okay but you are valuable okay but but my my other point on that and going forward is it's the biggest loophole of back to the future too i mean he he comes back and he says i gotta take you 30 years into the future because your kids get in trouble just correct it along the way you're living you can change things now to make sure that doesn't happen okay way to ruin a good and taking movie series and taking marty and jennifer 30 years into the future means that they weren't there for that 30 years so marty and jennifer or marty's junior and whatever thanks for ruining back to the future only if they're not brought now see this is where this is where the geekdom really starts to to reign supreme because you turn around and you say only if they don't come back at exactly the time that they leave yeah see and I, i think this is we've already started to kind of roll into this but the time machine is one of is pretty much the beginning of the discussion of time travel yes for us and the problems and the and the ethical ramifications, the philosophical ramifications of what that process is all about. And we've gone through and and it the beauty of the time machine in its discussion of time travel is in its simplicity. And most stories that do time travel well maintain simple. that simple. They don't worry about the simple. loopholes. Don't worry. The... Yeah, don't worry so much about you just know, tell a good story. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like I, I look at the time travel stories that I really enjoy, and I I think there's some of those points you bring up. I I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. Um, and that is the, the entire story is based around time travel, which is a fantastic way for writers to be able to say, Hey, I want to write a Renaissance story. I want to write a futurist or whatever to be able to do that. But the fact is, is, you know, your point about you're not important. You know, sometimes you don't know. So, yeah. Sometimes you don't know if you're important. There's but... such a discussion about time travel because we have this basic story that was simply, I can go forward. And I'm stuck. I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm not moving in space. I'm only moving in time. He, he basically does. That's when it comes to describing time travel. That's all he really does. He says, "I stay exactly where I start, where I want, where I am, but I go forward and I go backwards." Yeah. One of my Done. one of my favorite takes on the on the time travel process was in Quantum Leap. Um, which uh, I just started watching. Also, a, a really a really fun. You know, speaking of the 1980s, a really fun. Oh 
Uh, oh boy. <laughs> a really fun kind of a series. But in that series, they, they, they explored the idea that the individual matters um, within, the, within the framework of history and within the framework of time. So uh, while H.G. While Wells doesn't approach that, while H.G. Wells doesn't deal with that piece, um, he gives us an opportunity that has been exploited over and over and over again for us to explore issues about the human condition. Because that's really what all of these authors that we've that that we're going to be looking at are going to be doing with science. They're going to be exploring what it means to be human in the context of science having an impact upon us. Hmm. And on that note, shall we? Absolutely. Um, I, so I, let's talk about uh, what we're going to be reading in the future. Because um, yeah, there's a lot of science fiction out there. There is, uh, and a lot of different ways to explore human nature through science. Um, and so I know one other thing that we've got on our list is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, um, which could be pretty cool. And can, on a future pod pa- podcast, can we get H.G. Wells to bring Jules Verne to this room and have them <laughs> no, duke it out? No. They hate each other. I know. That's why I want to see it. <laughs> can we get some claymation, uh, was it Celebrity Deathmatch going? That, wow, time machine going back in time for that. <laughs> Uh, all right, so yes, if you would like to follow along, go grab a copy of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, and we will uh, be discussing, I think that one's next, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we'll do that next week, because it is larger than a novella, uh, so yes. we might need a couple weeks to get through that one, uh, but otherwise, we will see or speak at all of you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening um, and I hope you enjoyed the time machine as much as I did and as much as Ryan was supposed to Uh, and we will see you all later. How many ice dancers do you know? (laughs) How many ice dancers do you know? How many ice dancers I know? The answer? I am correct. This is ice dancer. (laughs) Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com.